is the Sunday night crew, however, so I assume everyone's just got their own Bible and it's tattered. Oh, man. No worries. Get a Bible in your hand. We study the Bible. We don't just study from the Bible. Big difference. So you got to put up with me for one more week, Zach. Um, you know, preaching's really, it, preaching's, to be honest, it comes easy to me. So, <laughs> you know, Zach's the man, because Zach just got back from Uganda, and now he's headed off to junior high camp. That's, it's, that's not even manly, that's just crazy, right? Like, that's just bona fide nuts. It's easy for me to show up and, and to, to gab and yell at people about revelation and thug Jesus coming down, um, but... But Zach is doing, and no, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not belittling preaching by any means. I've studied the doctrine of preaching, why we preach. Our God is a God who preaches. The majority of Jesus' ministry was preaching. I'm not belittling that, but um, your faithful servant, Zach, who's normally here, is doing crazy good kingdom work. Amen. He did it in Uganda, and he's doing it with the junior hires, and he's making sure that um, the next generation hears the gospel before they even get to high school, which is amazing. So um, praise God for him. I am always honored and blessed uh, to fill in for him. So um, if you weren't here last week, um, I taught last week. I'm going to teach again this week, but then come back next week. You guys are going to continue your study on the chronological life and ministry of Jesus, which is an amazing study. I don't get to it that often, but I tell you, I do listen to it on Vimeo. I also listen to Pastor Dave from Calvary Chapels, Calabasas. All these videos are online. All these sermons are online. Use them. Pass them around. Use them to study throughout the week. Not only to, to reflect back on the sermon, but to propel you into the next chapter of the study. I listen to usually Pastor Rob's sermon again on Monday morning at work. I get to the office before anyone else except my associate. I listen to Pastor Dave usually by Wednesday or Thursday. Zach, Thursday or Friday. All right? Use this stuff. All right? We're, we, we've got a video ministry. We've got Jason, Pastor Mark that do this sort of stuff. Like I said, I called out last Sunday in the silent servants. I forgot about the video guys. They're doing this to bless you guys. So anyway, that's my rant about video. Um, that's my reasoning for you having to listen to me again tonight. So uh, I'm not going to go as long as last week. Some of you are super relieved. Okay? I'm, I, I looked back. I did go check the video. I'm like, oh my goodness. They sat for an hour and 21 minutes <laughs> through grace. So... Last week we took a look at, I'm just doing a little two-part mini-series, okay? By grace through faith. Last week we took a look at by grace. We broke it into two categories. We took a look at 12 dimensions. Tonight we're going to take a look at through faith. So if you open up to Ephesians 2, by the way, did you guys like the first song that the band played in tenderness? Can I tell you that, that's the, that, that their heart for that song came from a band that put out a CD recently? And you honestly should go get it. It's a band by the name of Citizens. And it comes out of Ephesians. This exact passage was the thrust of so much of that entire album. In fact, if you look down at Ephesians 2 verse 19, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. That's where the band gets their name. I know the guys would attest that album is ministering to us as young guys. I listen to Christian metal. If, it, if they're not screaming and sounding like they're throwing up into the microphone, I normally don't listen to it. And Citizens is a worship album that you can get behind. I don't care where you come from. I've had people that are like, they're like bona fide, like old school church, and they're like, okay, well, that album's, that album's legit. Then you got guys like me that are on the other end of the spectrum, screaming, wearing black, the whole thing, right? And we're like, okay, well, and so we come together on this album. In Tenderness, that first song we played is on there, and then a song called Made Alive comes from the very verses that we studied last week and the study that we're doing tonight. All right, so just a plug, I don't have any royalties associated with their sales or anything. Like some of you are like trying to figure out what's the business behind this. Why is he taking sermon time? It's already a minute and 42 seconds, and he's still talking about this, the album. It just, it ministers, all right? And I know the guys are blessed. You will be blessed. Just take music with you. Take 
the songs of the gospel with you throughout the week. It'll, it'll transform your walk. All right, but we are in Ephesians 2. I'll read again. We are doing kind of a topical study. It's a little weird for Calvary Chapel, but um, as you see, we can still, you know, even one word, we can still find a way to talk for an hour and 21 minutes. So um, we're going to get through it again. I want to read in context the main verse that we'll be studying before we jump into faith. Uh, but before we do that, let's just pray again because I need God's grace. I want to make sure that uh, this is about him, not about me or my antics or the albums that I'm listening to recently. So um, God, we just need you tonight. Not just tonight for some special reason, but every night. We don't know when's going to be our last night. And so we're here tonight to not just know about you, but to know you. That's the difference. We look forward to meeting you. But while we're here and we've got a mission on earth, we want to know you. Even before we meet you, we want to know you. And so I pray hearts here are scored and they're open and they're ready for your word, mine included. I thank you for this study. I thank you for bringing it back into my life as a two-part mini-series to just put saturation in my life of some of these concepts that are just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And there's no way I can do justice to this. There's no way I can do justice to this topic. And so I need your grace. I need you to work through me. I just want to be a tool in your hands. I pray that people don't see me, they see you. That they want to come to know you better, not just about you, but know you. And how great a faith we have because we serve a great God. It's in your son's name and we pray. Amen. Ephesians 2, it kicks off like this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once conducted ourselves. We were all there. Don't think yourself better. We were all there in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We don't like to talk about wrath. God says, you were children of, of wrath, just as the others. Verse four, but God. Again, thank goodness it doesn't say but you, right? Because then the whole thing goes downhill from there. But God, who is rich in mercy, which is different than grace, it means you don't get what you deserve. Because of his great love, with which he loved us. Verse five, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, and then Paul teases us, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know that the term Christian is used how many times in in the New Testament? Twice. Hundreds of times our identity is found in Christ. This is something we are in. This is not a, simply a title that we carry. Twice in the New Testament, Christian. Hundreds of times in Christ. Huge difference. It doesn't mean that Christian doesn't mean that, but it shows the emphasis. This is something we are in. This is a faith that we are in by his grace. Not just simply a title we throw out to the world. Okay? So you're going to come across that a lot in your study of the New Testament. In Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And this is where we are. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Thank goodness. It is the gift of God. Gift, grace, gift, Grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for our own ego. That for, hold on, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray again. God, again, we just ask for your blessing on this time of study. We just thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for faith. We thank you for all that you do for us. Though we were dead, though we are sons and daughters of disobedience, you continue to pour out on us. You layer your grace on our faith, and that's a salvific cocktail that we can bet the mortgage on. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for this time. I ask that everyone, myself included, be convicted by the Holy Spirit, not condemned by the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we took a look at by grace through, or by grace, tonight through faith. Okay, I'll do a quick little recap if you weren't here because I think grace is just, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's no better word. You thought I was gonna come up with something theological. Nope, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. People spend books and books. They're like, Mark, what do you think about it? I think it's ridiculous. I I do. I think it's absolutely crazy. By grace through faith. So God, by grace, right, first and foremost, God pours it out. And what does he pour it out onto? The mode by which is faith. So again, I'm amazing with my hand modeling. You guys are blown away. By grace through faith. Okay? Thank goodness it doesn't say if you muster up enough faith, I'm going to pour out my grace on it. It says by grace through faith. And so last week we took a look at by grace, we broke it into two categories, common and saving. Common grace, saving grace. Common grace is for all to experience regardless of response, but it has no bearing in eternity. I'll say that again, common grace is to be experienced by all, regardless of your response to it, but has no bearing in eternity. None. So the mountains, music, laughter, food, wine, Marriage, sex, feelings, emotions, laughing, all of that. God's, con- I said wine, it's okay. Some of you got caught up on that. Did he, it's in the Bible, relax, okay? I checked with Pastor Rob, he said it's fine. Okay, I'm using the right translation and everything. It's part of God's common grace, right? We go overboard with all that stuff. We take good things, make them God things. They're called idols, okay? So we take sex, make it a God thing. And then you have por- pornography and adultery and all that sort of stuff, right? We take wine, elevate it, drunkenness, debauchery, all that nonsense, college, essentially, right? And so we take good things, we make them God things. So common grace, those to be, God shows us, he's gonna pour out the rain on on the righteous and the evil. He gives out common grace wherever he goes. Then there's saving grace. And so in John 1, 16, when he says grace for grace, he's not being redundant, so by grace through faith, but grace itself is, is in two categories and then we broke out 12 distinctions within just saving grace. So by grace, which is common grace layered with saving grace, we took a look at the following 12 dimensions. All right, so I'm gonna go through this. Like I said, we'll be done in three, four hours. It'll be fine. We're gonna redo this. We've got electing grace and there's all the things there. If you missed it, come up to me afterwards. The slide's not gonna be up too long. Electing grace, you've been elected. How do I know if I'm elect? Chances are, if you're asking that question, you are because the non-elect, they actually don't care. If you're worried about it, like, am I elect? Chances are, I can't say for sure, I can't judge your heart, but chances are you actually are because you care about it and you're worried. I, I wanna be elect, chances are you are. Well, I was an atheist and now I'm a Christian. Congrats, you're elect. Well, how, at what point? I don't really care. I don't. Oh, there's five different stages, okay. 
Go back to your little office with your books, floor to ceiling, right? Practically, electing grace. If you're a Christian, you were elect. Any questions? Good. Preach grace. God sends preachers. God was a preacher. God created everything through a sermon. Genesis 1 is a sermon. Reread it. God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. That's a sermon, right? So we got preach grace, but we also took a look at the fact that it's not just preachers. It's you guys. You preach the gospel to people, not just preachers. We equip the saints. The saints go out and do what? You preach to the lost, right? Regenerating grace. This is when God takes your heart and gives you a new spirit. Says, you know what? I'm going to convert your desires. Yeah, we actually serve a God that can convert your desires. Well, it's nature versus nurture. No, it's not. Nature's fractured. Pray for new desires. God will give them to you. He can. Do you believe he can? By his grace. Converting grace. God's in the business of converting people, and he does so through grace. Justifying grace. This is where God's a judge. He says, you're justified by my grace, not of anything you've done. You're adopted. So if justifying grace takes place in a courtroom, adopting grace takes place in the family room, he says, you're part of my family. Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Why? He modeled for us perfectly that we're all adopted. We're all adopted. Ministry grace. Everyone here has a spiritual gift. Every single one of you has a ministry. A tiny percentage of you actually are heeding that clarion call from God and serving the church regularly. Not because you have to. We just talked about regenerating grace because now you want to. Right? Now you want to. Well, I'm really busy. Ask God for more time. Seriously. Ask God for more time. We'll get to my favorite, number nine, empowering grace here in a second. Sanctifying grace. You're in this process of sanctification. You're never gonna be at the goal. We, we put goals in our lives. Like we need to get to the Christian goal. God has no such goal. It's a stream of sanctification until eternity. That's it. And there's people ahead of you. And you're like, man, they look really good up there. They're dealing with their own thing. You got people back there. And you're like, well, I'm better than them. No, you're not. You're all in the same stream. You're in that stream. You're going to go right. It's just the, the most magical water slide ever and just right into eternity. Like Pastor Rob this morning, just talking about heaven. Have you guys thought about that all day? It's like, man, he's like the whole surfer thing. I'm, I'm probably actually going to be a good surfer in eternity, right? Like that's what I'm tripped out about, right? So sanctifying, it's a process, not a goal. There's nowhere in your Christian walk you need to get to. You just need to be walking with Christ, by his grace in this process of sanctification, empowering grace. Paul says, I am who I am, and I was able to work harder than everyone else. Why? Well, because I lifted weights early in the morning. I had three Red Bulls before breakfast, a good complex carbohydrate in the morning, layered on some protein. So it can, no, none of that. The empowering grace of God. I'm really tired all day. Then pray for the empowering grace of God. He'll pour it out on you. He wants to. He wants to see us working our butts off harder than the whole world like Paul did. Stop looking out to, what is Apple doing? Those guys just, they work like crazy. Apple should be like, what's the local church doing? They're just, they're killing it. They're kicking back the gates of hell in the process. They're just working like crazy because we're empowered by God and his empowering grace. We've got provisional grace. Everything in your life is to be stewarded with Jesus as its focus. Miraculous grace. God's in the business of performing miracles. The least of which is not the fact that some of us are going to heaven. Right? Pretty big miracle. And then we see Jesus, when he, when he expanded all the bread and the food to 20,000 people, he gave it to the disciples to do what? His miracle? Their hands. They went and handed it out. Sometimes he's in the business saying, here's the miracle. Now it's up to you to go hand it out to everyone. They need food. They need the bread of life. I just went crazy. I just went Holy Spirit global, Twitter account and everything. Go out and talk about it. That's the least you could do. Hand out the miracle. That is your salvation. Miraculous grace and then glorifying grace. God's in the main, the main business that God is in is his name and his glory. 
not you, not, certainly not your comfort, not your glory, but in his glory. And he models in that, you're like, oh, that's a selfish God, so can I be about my glory? No, because he's modeling for us. He's about his glory, and he models for you that you're to be about his glory too. Because if he was about your glory, then you'd just turn that thing right back around. Be like, well, then God's about my glory. We do that even when he shows us, no, it's actually about mine. So I'm going to show you it's about mine. It's about his glorifying grace. In the end, from predestination to glorification, every step of the way is propelled, is thrust by grace. Every step. There's no like grace when you start, grace when you end, and you got to muster up merit in between, which is what some Christian denominations teach. That this part is the meriting process. Yeah, oh, we get it. Grace at, at predestination, elect, yeah, we get it. And glorification, that's all, that's all about grace. But in the middle, it's about what you need to do. That's a false gospel. There's false gospels, there's anti-gospels, there's non-gospels. It's a false gospel. All right, and so we took a look at grace, and it says, by grace, through faith. Now we come to the mode by which, so if last week like, started to bend you guys toward like Calvinism, It's like, oh my gosh, it's just God doing everything to me and I have nothing to do. Oh my gosh, your response, oh, now the Arminians get all excited, right? Some of you don't even know what the terms mean. You're like, why does he keep bringing this up? Because this is the crap that divides the church today. This is the crap that divides the church today. It really is. I'm getting sick of it. People are like, oh, where do you stand on, I don't know, I got a college student who wants to know why her brother died. They're answering questions that no one is asking. Well, let's go through the five points of Calvinism. Who the freak asked for that? No one. I want to know why I lost my baby. That's what I want to know. I want to know how to reach the lost. Not get together with a bunch of Christians in the corner and start squabbling about the minor nuanced difference of our faith. Stop it. The gospel is infinitely deep, but it's also very simple. Jesus taught the extent of the Old Testament to the disciples and then when the lost were in front of him, he said, you know, there was a farmer and he had some seed. That's how Jesus taught. He knew the depths of the gospel to be sure. But he presented it just very simply and practically. Good theology is always practical. He talked for 18 hours about the differences of five points, a tulip, a Calvinism, and then Monday morning hits. You're like, how does that apply to my life? Blah, blah. Let's just do a word study again. No, how do I talk to my secular friends at work? Tulip didn't give me any of that, right? Some people are predestined to hell. Welcome to church, right? Oh, right? And so, yeah, so if if anything, last week was just showing God pour everything out, and this is our response. God initiates with grace, and he pours it out on this mode, which is our faith, which is our faith. And so we take a look at faith tonight. And you need to know, so this, this, these, this two-part mini-series came out of a five-part series that I did with the college ministry. Rare that we do topical. It was the beginning of a new year. I did a five-week study on the five sole of the Protestant Reformation, okay? Five sole, the five theological, big theological ideas that came out of the divergence from the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. I'm not gonna be here to bash Catholics, Okay? But there was a big divide at the time, especially. And the church has reconciled a lot of things. Indulgences and treasury of the church, some of these things. And they're, they're recovering from some of that nonsense, right? But this big divide happened and the church said, you know what, we're going to put together some big theological points. And that's fine. Anyone, raise your hand if you believe in the Trinity. Raise your hand if you believe in the Trinity. Okay, now raise your hand if you know how many times the word Trinity appears in the Bible. 
None. Not one. Okay? So sometimes a man puts just some labels, some concepts into common language. All right? So we took a look at the five sole. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli deo gloria, to God's glory alone. I get the chills. Oh, I got the chills, I said. I love it. All right, so five parts, the five sole of the Protestant Reformation. This study came from that. So we took a look at grace alone, essentially, last week. Tonight we take a look at sola fide, faith alone. Grace through faith. By grace, right? By grace alone, through faith alone. God's initiation, our response. Okay? Where that falls on the Arminian Calvinist, don't care. God's grace, our faith. And you need to know that this is incredibly distinctive to Christianity. Incredibly distinctive to Christianity. I'll show you another list. Big fan of lists. If you guys haven't figured that out yet. Reconciled to God, how? I could have gone on. There's like 48. I don't remember how many established religions there are. There's a billion. Right? Buddhism. You're reconciled to God based on how much you can remove desire from your life. People are like, well, then what, at what point? I don't know. And they don't tell you. Why? Because they don't know. Well, at what point have I removed? No one knows. But just every day, removing desire. As opposed to what? Asking God for his desires. Confucianism. However you say that. Confucianism. Practicing self-reflection. Right? Americans, we, we get that. We know that. Every day is just self-reflection, right? Every shrink in America at some point comes to like a self-reflection point. You need to sit down with yourself. You need to love yourself, right? It's Easternism. Practicing self-reflection is the way in which you're reconciled to God. Again, how much do I have to do? At what point? No one knows. They won't tell you because they don't know. Okay? Hinduism, rejecting separated ego. How many people know what separated ego is? Yeah, me neither. So, Islam... Islam is about performing. Some of you are like, you could have at least like Googled it before. I don't really care. Islam, performing good deeds. How many, how many do I need to do? I don't know. Why don't they tell you? Because they don't know. Orthodox Judaism, obeying the law. I forget, I forget the number. Anyone know how many laws Jews have to actually stick to? 600 something like that? See, I get lost at like three. I'm like, really? There's more than Three? Obeying the law. At what point have I obeyed the law? I don't know. You know why they don't tell you? Because they don't know either. New ageism, ob- obtain a new perspective. No idea what that means. Probably because I haven't obtained one. Scientology. I've been to the Church of Scientology, by the way. Oh, freaky. Right? I mean, anything that produces Tom Cruise jumping on a couch on Oprah. Anything's got to be amazing. Right? It's, it's called reaching a state of clear. Another pop culture thing. Anyone seen The Master? The movie The Master? Go home and rent The Master. Great flick. It's about Scientology. It's, it's the best movie about Scientology where they don't say it's about Scientology. It's about Scientology, okay? The Church of Scientology tried to get that movie stopped in production. Go home. We live in America. Rent it. Tell your friends. Tweet about it. Instagram it as you put it in your DVD player. I don't, I don't know. Whatever you do, tell people about The Master. I went down to the Church of Scientology. Two sides of the house. They got the church. Went to a church service. Sit in the room. Okay, I'm sitting in the room find yourself in the room. Okay, really? I found myself. Now what do I do? Put your hands on your knees, okay? Let your hands feel your knees. Okay, I got it. Now, let your knees feel your hands. Okay, really? Like, 
You think I'm joking. This is actually, and then they read L. Ron Hubbard, okay? Science fiction writer who said, you want to make a lot of money? Come up with a religion, okay? Find a spot on the wall. Now find yourself in the universe. Okay, let's go. And we went to the Dianetic side of the house where they zap the bad thoughts out of your head. Hook you up to machines. Let's start thinking about, yeah, some of you are like, oh, I'd be kicking stuff over and running out. I'd be Jesus in the temple with a whip, right? And, and, and so they've got the Dianetic side, the science, they've got the religion. It's this whole morphed nonsense, okay? And you can pay your way to salvation. You can pay your well to a state, uh, yourself to a state of clear. You've got to pay into the system. You've got to get more treatment. You've got to get more counseling. Of course, that costs money. They're not doing it for free. Want to become rich? Come up with a religion. L. Ron Hubbard, thank you. I mean, he's flat out. He's just like, hey, you know what? Let's just do this to make money. And people are like, I think it's a real religion. He's a prophet. I'm like, oh my gosh, we deceive ourselves. Scientology, Taoism, finding peace and harmony. Good luck. Et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on and on and on and on. You need to know that by grace through faith is one of the massive, mind-blowing, in-your-face distinctions of our faith. Of our religion. Religion means what? Relangari, relink to God. Religion is Jesus. That's it. The only way you relink to Jesus or to God is through Jesus. Religion is not a bad word to be discarded, right? But it's an abused word that needs to be restored. Facebook, you go on your little profile, religion, colon, shoot. I wish it would just say like spiritual state or something like that. No, it says religion, relink to God, colon. What do you put there? I just put Jesus. That's it. Not like Christianity, non-denominational, Calvary Chapel, Southern California, like none of that, just Jesus, because that's what it means. Relink to God. How do you relink to God? That's religion, Relangari, right? By grace, through faith, this is how God comes to man. This is our response. This kicks off our study. And the opponents of this biblical doctrine, again, that arises out of the Protestant Reformation, the opponents say this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say faith alone. Nowhere. And I've had people say that. Show me in your Bible where it says faith alone. I said right next to the word Trinity. Even Christians, it doesn't say that. Do you believe in the Trinity? Yes. Show it to me in the Bible. Well, it's a concept that's described. Oh. Oh, interesting. Click. Man just puts words on biblical concepts. A lot of times we fail because the English language, right? We just say love for everything. I love, I love pizza and I love my wife. Like, same word? Yeah, same word. Yeah. Right? And the Greeks are like, oh, lots of different levels of that, right? They were smarter in that regard. Sometimes our language gets it. Sometimes it fails. Right? By grace, through faith. But here's where faith alone does actually exist in the Bible. James 2 24, we're going to do a micro study of James 2. So if you will, just flip over to James with me. James 2, verse 24. We'll bring this whole thing into context. We have to unpack this if we're going to talk about the arc of of Scripture. We have to unpack the number one reason people get this wrong. You, so... James 2, 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Some of your translations may say not by faith alone. So how on earth do we reconcile that to an idea that says it is by grace through faith that we are saved? 
And I'll tell you real concisely, so there it is. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. By grace through faith, how do we make that work? How do we reconcile the two? And there was a great author that one time said, uh, during a men's group over at Skyline, he said, beware of people, beware of Christians that make a whole lot of doctrine around one verse. He says the first thing he does when getting into a doctrinal discussion, doctrinal just means over relating to doctrine, first thing he does is say, I'd like two or three other verses to support that. Ooh, that's tough. So tell you what, I'm not gonna give you two or three, I'm gonna give you two slides worth of conferring verses. Looks like this. Justified by works? No, through faith. Plays out like this. Number one, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumstances by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Is he gonna read all these? Absolutely. But to one who does not work, that was Romans 3, 28 through 30, for those of you listening to this on the video. And Jason did a great job. He actually put the slides up on the video. See, God speaks making advancements, right? The videos, it's not just like one, it's got slides in them now. It's ridiculous, right? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Remember Romans 4, we're gonna come back to that. Paul, same author of Ephesians, Romans Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? It doesn't say faith alone. Yeah, but there's a really big case building that that's an okay biblical concept. That was Romans 9.30. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10.4, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. That was Romans 11.6. Another slide. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2.16. It's getting really clear, isn't it? I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, this one's big, then Christ died needlessly. You say it's by something else, it's Jesus plus something else, you spit on the cross and Jesus died needlessly. That was Galatians 2.21. Does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, right? And the word of God is both the Bible and whom? Jesus. Amazing how that works out. It's like he planned it in advance. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Galatians 3, 5 through 6. How many years before the law? Jesse, Bible is? Something. 
430. He actually got it on the money, 430. I actually wrote 500 at first in my Bible. I just scribbled it out. I'm like, Jesse's going to be pissed if I don't. And then I wrote a line over there. It was like the Jesse line. I said 430. You got to be accurate, right? Number 10, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Galatians 3.24, we're still going. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We just read that, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and Philippians 3, 9, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And do you see what he did there after faith? Do you guys see that? you see that? It's on both slides. It's a period. That's where he ends the sentence. It doesn't keep going. Faith, period. Boom, hashtag, done, finished, right? Done, period. Only a few of you got the hashtag joke. Okay, And as we've seen, a lot of really, really disgusting things have come from a misconception of this. And that's why I'm going to spend, yeah, the majority of the sermon breaking down false gospels, anti-gospels, non-gospels. And then you simply replace it with what's right. We just spoke to the college group last night about idols. And you've got to tear down what's wrong before you can properly put back what's right. And so I do a lot of lists, and the lists about what things are not, what repentance is not, before I get to this nice little quippy definition, and you're like, that was it, right? You got to tear down some of this stuff, because this stuff has been the cause for a lot of pain, a lot of mistrust, a lot of abuse in the capital C church. And reliance on man, and reliance on church, and reliance on finances, and reliance on all this sort of stuff. It it harkens back to the old days in Judaism, where you actually had to bring something to the priests so that they could then take it to God for you. And it spits on the cross. It says God didn't come to you. You still have to find a way through an earthly mediator to get to him. It's by grace which we've seen is common and saving and dimensions and this huge, massive unpacking. It took an hour and 21 minutes for crying out loud and I didn't even scratch the service. And then it's through faith. And the arc, the sweeping arc of scripture is that it is by faith alone. But we have to reconcile that with James. So take a look with me. Take a look at the beginning of James 2. Let me show you how this plays out real quick. I want to unpack this. Chapter 2. I put a bracket between verse 1 and verse 7. You can if you want. All it's speaking to, and if you're in the NKJV, I think you've got the same headline as me, beware of personal favoritism. 1 through 7, I want to show you the case that he's building. I want to show you the case that James is building into this verse 24 that they pull out and they say, see, it's not by faith alone. You see it by works. I agree. But you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. You're left with a fake. You're left with a fraud and a counterfeit. And so what we need to do is build the proper context. One through seven, he's speaking to favoritism. Eight through 13, he's speaking about the law. Don't have favorites. He builds into this law. Then we get into verse 14. We're gonna spend a little bit of our time. 14 through 26 
is the relationship between works and faith. Okay, favoritism, the law. Now we get into how the law interacts with faith and how faith interacts with the law. You have to understand, you have to have that context. You have to. And it sounds like this. It says in verse 14, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He's talking here about a public profession of faith. You've seen this. I'm a Christian on Sunday mornings, most of the time. 60 or 40% of the time. You've seen the public profession of faith. Christians called to be in fellowship. You're in fellowship throughout the week and you're like, that doesn't really match what he was talking about on Sunday. And he showed up to church and he sat next to me and, and now we're here and it's Friday night. He's got his underwear on his head, right? And he's just, right? And uh, does he, right? He's talking about a public profession of faith. It's insincere. He's talking about a public declaration. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Or you just have a title that you're running around with? Right? They do the surveys of America. Do you believe in God? Or are you a Christian? It's like 80%. So I'm like, yes. Second question. You believe Jesus is God? I'm a Christian. Do you think? Christ had something to do with it. Ah, he was a good teacher. Boom, plummets. Now you're in the vast, vast minority in America that worships Jesus as God, even among Christians. Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into eternity. Mind-blowing. It's been rocking my world since Pastor Dave gave that sermon two Wednesdays ago. Just, bam, even the people talking about it. Even the people with public declarations of faith, Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Not because they just lost their salvation, because they never even had it. And so he says, okay, so we start to build this case. What does it profit? He says he has faith, but does not have works. A public declaration, it's insincere. You begin to see his heart in his conduct, not in his words. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and, warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he says, you've made a public declaration of faith and nothing comes of that. There is no message behind it. There is no life that reflects it. There is no reflecting of God's glory in your life. You say it and I don't see it. That is a faith that is dead because it's not a faith at all. It's just a public declaration from an insincere heart. And so you see this case, you, see, you begin to see how misconstrued the entire thing is when they pull this and they base doctrine off it and they say, you gotta come to the church to pay back or you're gonna spend more time in purgatory or you've gotta, come, you've gotta do this, you've gotta go through our sacramental system or else you're not fully experiencing Christ. You're not fully experiencing Christianity on the earth. I asked a friend, I said, apart from your denomination, a Christian denomination, Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks, I said, are we a part of the body of Christ? She said, yes, but not fully. Oh. Oh, so it's not about Jesus. It is about the walls I sit in on a Sunday. Well, so, uh, you, you just, I, that's exactly what you just said. I'm not, we're not, we don't have the full experience 
of Jesus because we're not inside their church on Sunday morning. This is a perverse gospel. It's disgusting. It's the kind of religious nonsense Jesus would spend the majority of his minister, ministry fighting. It would make him angry when they abuse the church as such. That's his bride. In verse 18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, You know what? Put it to the test. Not only a public declaration, does my life fit my proclamation? Does yours? We love hearing this. We love a good sermon, get all riled up, but does it? Does it rile you up to anything? Does it, does it propel you into the work week? Or is it just gone when you walk out the door? You're just back in Thousand Oaks, back in Newbury Park, and none of it actually matters. None of it reflects day to day. None of it. Be careful you don't have a pro- public declaration without a private relationship. And it says, this, this, this part's, dare I say, ballsy. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Tell you what, you believe there's, there's a God? You believe there's a God. Awesome, congratulations. Guess who you're in the room with now? Even the demons believe. I believe in God, congrats. Base level, you're on par with demons. Well, well, hold on a second, right? First question on the test to America, are you a Christian? Yes. You believe in Jesus? No. Cool, that's the group that's just hanging out with the demons. Even demons believe in God. They do. Do they reflect him? No. No, they don't. They don't reflect him. So he says, even the demons believe and tremble. So he likens it to the belief of demons. Demons. Think you're high up on yourself because you believe in God. Congrats. So do the demons. It says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac to his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. And then he hearkens back the same way that he did in Romans 4. He says, and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend, the friend of God. 430 years before the law was written. You can't reverse engineer that. You can't say it had anything to do with what Abraham had done apart from his response to God's grace through faith. You can't. You just have to be logically inconsistent at best. And it says this, you see then, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. You see You can see people's faith play out. We read this verse all wrong. You do it, we do it every day, we judge. We judge other Christians, we judge other people. I'm not even saying that you're not supposed to. Jesus himself said judge, right? And what did he say? Righteously. 
No, the Bible says thou shalt not judge. Read the whole context, talking about a plank, essentially you're doing what they're doing and you're judging them because of it. It's not the context. Jesus shows up and says, judge righteously from his lips to our ears. Stop this whole, we don't judge. Yes, you do. Every day you judge. We have a whole system of judicial system built on judging. God established that. It's okay. So long as you're judging righteously to the standard to which you hope to be judged. Are you judging them on grace and faith? But you can see faith play out. Can you not? You see it. And so what is faith? The Bible has the answer. For every concept, you need not, though they're helpful, you need not find or pull definitions from elsewhere. You need to be reading good authors that point you to the definitions in Scripture, not coming up with their own. Right? And so, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. James says, you will see it. Hebrews says, it is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is what? A spiritual term? That's a physical term. You can see substance, correct? I'm a word dork. I went to Merriam-Webster. It says substance is that which has mass and occupies space. Oh, so James is saying you can actually see faith. How so? By that which occupies space. And so you can see it play out. That's the first definition. The second one is a material of a particular kind or constitution. Are we not a particular kind? Are we not a substance that occupies space? Is James saying you need to look out? You need to look in? You need to look out? You can see faith play out. You can see it. And so we've got this big, massive misunderstanding of grace. We've got this big, massive understanding, or at least we just very shallow, myself included, before this study. Again, as a preacher, the worst thing is Sunday for me. The worst thing right now is the sermon. Because I want to tell you guys, I got seven days worth of just belligerent knocking over the head by God. And I just have to cram it into like an hour and 21 minutes, right? Like 50 minutes. And it's all we can do at times to say, I can't believe how shallow I've thought of this concept. Grace and how it's every step of the way in faith. And I start to take a look at my own life and how I've perverted that. Because good theology says Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing. It's a good equation to find out idols when you place something in there. Jesus plus my denomination equals salvation. Jesus plus my morality equals salvation. Jesus plus my purity before marriage equals salvation. Jesus plus my lack of theft, my lack of murder, my lack of swearing, my lack of dishonoring my parents. And we place something in there. By grace, through faith, Jesus plus nothing 
And so we've construed grace, we've construed faith. And when I say liberal, I'm not speaking politically. I used to worship politics, had a blog, thousands of viewers, spent ridiculous amounts of time with that. I'm not speaking politically. Talking about theological liberalism. Theological liberalism. Theological, on the other side of that, what? Legalism. You can call that conservatism, whatever you want. Don't care. Okay? So you got theological liberalism. You got theological legalism. If you've done a study of the offices of Jesus, right? Prophet, priest, king, where he perfected all of them. Generally, when you, when you pull one heavier than the other, you, you end up in some other camp. And so what happens is, I wrote this down, when you misunderstand grace, when you misunderstand faith, it begins to pull you toward a theological bent. It pulls you into that. And I wrote this down. It says, theological, I said, theological liberalism says, theological liberalism says, it is done, we agree, therefore I won't do. Theological liberalism says, you know what? It's done, therefore nothing matters anymore. None of it. Not righteousness, not sowing righteousness into your life, as we learned at the college ministry last night. Sowing righteousness, plowing a field, scattering righteous seed. None of that matters. It's done, therefore I won't do. You see the book, you see the Bible is a book of rules. I'm not gonna do them then. I'm not gonna follow them then. It's by grace I'm saved. You said it yourself. It doesn't matter. It's nature versus nurture. Fine. It is done, therefore I won't do. You got a public profession of faith. That's great. James says, but you can't see that faith anywhere. You can't. So theological liberalism says, it is done, therefore I won't do. Theological legalism says, it is not done, therefore I must do. It's actually not done. There's more that needs to be done. Jesus plus something equals my salvation. So theological liberalism says, it is done, therefore I won't do. Legalism says, you know what, it's not done, so I will. And that's the thrust as apart from his grace is the reason why. His pouring of his grace on your faith is what propels you every step of the way. That's what James is talking about. Every step of the way, you can see it. It's substantive. It's manifest. Christians walk into a room and the mood changes. People stop swearing. Have you ever had that? Don't get hopped up on yourself, but praise God that people see Christianity for what it should be, set apart. Not separated. Pharisee means separated one. You don't want to be in that bucket. Pharisee, separated one. I'm not going to go anywhere. Okay, cool, Pharisee. They wouldn't either. I'm not going to hang out with those people. They're dirty. Awesome. Just like the lepers on the side of the street, the Pharisees would go one block over because they couldn't even be on the same street as them. Congrats. You're part of the people that persecuted Jesus. Pharisee means separated one. We're not called to separation. Holy means set apart. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Jesus was in this world, but he was not of this world. Jesus went to the lepers. When he 
touched them. He didn't even violate Jewish law because in that nanosecond, they were healed. And he wasn't touching anyone dirty. He fulfilled the law. He didn't break it. And so we see that, again, it is done, therefore I won't do. Theological liberals would say, it is not done, therefore I must do, and both spit on the cross as they do so. Both spit on the cross. That's not what we're talking about. Romans 6, Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And he has an exclamation point. Not used that often? It's not like today, right? People are like, ah, I woke up, had a sandwich, ah! And they have all these exclamation points on Facebook and Twitter. Why does the guy keep bringing up social networks? Because I do that for a living, right? Just exclamation points for days. You follow my company? I'm the voice of our company online. We use no exclamation points. I'm the other side now. None. I'm done with it. Over. You don't need an exclamation. But in the Bible, exclamation point, Paul's yelling. He's yelling. Should we continue in sin? Should I continue with my porn addiction? Should I continue overusing alcohol and drugs and sex and dishonoring my parents and lusting and being greedy and being envious, boastful and prideful? Certainly not. That's what he says and he's yelling it, but he's happy. You know why? Because he says you don't have to do any of that anymore. His grace empowers you to stop doing that now. You've been regenerated. You've been converted. You're empowered. Knock it off. God shows up every once in a while in my life, like six or eight times a morning, and just says, knock it off. Stop. It's about my grace. It's about my glory, not your comfort. So he says, certainly not. And he's got an exclamation point. And so we've got our definition. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is it in your morality? Is it in your stature? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your idols? Is it is in sex? Is it in your looks and your, your profession? Is it in your drugs? Is it is in your alcohol? Is it in the bottle? Where is it? What's your hope? Is your hope that your children get a good job? That doesn't mean it's bad, but is that where you're placing your hope? Is that where you're placing your identity? In the hope that my kids would, you're wrong. In the hope that when Jesus shows up on a horse with a tattoo and a white robe's been dipped in blood, that when he shows up, he's like, first of all, he's like, hold on, get behind me. First of all, right? You're like, thank goodness. Get behind you, right? But your hope is that he says, enter into my kingdom, good and faithful servant. Because you not only proclaimed a faith, You've reflected him through your works. Good doctrine comes in through your head, heart, hands. It's good doctrine. Comes into your head, you understand it, you get an emotional response to your heart. And when it does, you can't help but have an outpouring of works. You can't help but serve the church. You can't help but serve the needy. You can't help but evangelize at times. You just can't. You can't because you have a hope set in eternity and you want people there with you. So it says, now the faith is the substance of things hoped for. Where's your hope? The evidence of things not seen. Where's the evidence? God saw fit that you be here tonight. That through his humor, I be here tonight. And he says, where's the evidence? 
We just define faith. This isn't getting legalistic. This is getting biblical. And how you respond to a lack of evidence says everything about your faith. If you say, I don't have evidence of faith, I need to muster it up. You're a legalist. You say, it's not done, therefore I must do. As opposed to falling on your knees, say, I get it now. It's by grace. God, show me something crazy. Regenerate my heart. Give me, a, give, give me a desire. I got a friend who I was in the Marine Corps with. When I met him, didn't know a freaking thing about Jesus. You know what he did today? He was in buddy break and he loved it. Marine Corps. He went to war right after me. He's seen everything. Disgusting. Trained killer. As we said, we're government trained homicide specialists in the Marine Corps. That's what we do. We specialize in homicide. At the government's discretion. Swearing, cursing. He's over there today. I went over and talked to him. He's like, bro, today's the first day of buddy break. He didn't smile like that for anything we did in the core. Nothing. Couldn't wait to get out. It's like, this is disgusting. He's got a heart. He's got a regenerated heart. He just wants to serve people. He loves watching those parents go off in relief. He loves bringing that kid. The kid's going to tear me apart, right? And they, they do. Jump on his back, and he's over there. He's just a horse, right? He's just, oh, they're jumping on. He loves it. He loves it. You drop to your knees, you say it's by grace through faith. I've got the faith, God. Pour out your grace. Enable me to serve. Enable me to minister. Enable me to evangelize. And in Hosea, it says this. I'm studying Hosea with the college group, so you had to know this was coming. It was late, late edition. Didn't make the iPad. Um, but this substance, this idea of the substance, this is how I'll wrap it up. You can see it. James says you can see it. It's the substance of things. In Hosea, God's speaking to Israel. And in 6.4, he says, Israel, your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. What's a cloud made of? Just droplets of water, right? And from a distance, it looks pretty rad, right? You remember when you were a kid, the first time you went up in a plane? Right? And you thought those were just like big, like actual masses of something. And like, you're like, oh no, the plane is, you're like, oh, we're going to hit that. That's it? You just like go right through it. You're like, I, I thought that the cloud was like this. That's it? It's just, it just got like gray outside. That's it? There's nothing there. Nothing. Anyone been to Texas for their thunderstorms? You just see those clouds rolling. You're just like, oh yes. You see a plane just going, Neh. it just flies right through it. Why? Because there's nothing, no substance. God comes in and just drives a truck through your faith. He's like, there's nothing there. It's just little droplets of water. It looks good from a distance. You're fooling a few people. But your hope isn't set in eternity. You're not relying on my grace. You're puffing up before man. Just little droplets of evidence. And then the conclusion is this in Hebrews 12. Keeping on this theme, the substance says, your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, it says, therefore, God wants us to be in a different cloud. And he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses. How do, how do you become a witness? You have to see something, Right? You have to see something. Now we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people that can examine your life as James intended it and say, hey, bro, I don't see anything. 
The plane just went through your entire faith and it didn't even flinch. It just got like a little soggy. Nothing. Now we're in a cloud of witnesses. We're in fellowship in the church. And it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with the enduring the race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus plus nothing is good theology. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. It is by grace through faith. God initiates your responses through faith. And Jesus says, enter in, my good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. I pray that, that, that the hearts here got just, if, if they just got a shaving from how I could encapsulate what you've taught me this week and in this study in previous times, it would be so glorifying to you. I've just been beat over the head for seven days on this. And I pray not for my own glory, but for yours, that I did your word justice. But I recognize that it's not me that interprets scripture, per scripture, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit. And if this message resonated with anyone here, it's not because of my notes. It's because you've interpreted it into the hearts of your people. And I pray that that interpretation that you've lended yourself for would be a radical new charge in our life as we serve a broken and fractured and groaning creation. We see we can do so by grace through faith. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You wrote it and you complete it. It began in the garden. It was encapsulated on the cross and it will be consummated in the end times. And we do, we do look forward to heaven. We look forward when our faith becomes sight. We not only talk about grace, we see it. We not only talk about faith, we see it. And we don't just come to learn about Jesus. We come to know you so that one day we will see you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.